This is Bach Talk. Dynamic performer, dramatic interpretation, dazzling vocal agility, dead-on accuracy, some of the words used to describe the voice you're hearing right now. Here's a couple more D words. She's delightful, as you're about to find out. She's definitely Dutch. And she's a double threat, passionate not only about music and singing, but also about art and painting. She talks about all of that and much more straight ahead. Her name is Josephine Stoplenberg, and she is our special guest today. Hello, I'm Ron Clem. Welcome to Bach Talk. The music we're hearing, the soprano aria Ich folge dir gleichfalls, comes from a performance of Bach's St. John Passion by the Bach Society of St. Louis in March of 2014. It was Josephine Stoplenberg's first performance with the Bach Society. She has been a much sought after and frequent soloist here ever since. In addition to her on-stage appearances, she, along with her husband, Stephen Alltop, graciously produced some virtual performances for Bach Society audiences to enjoy during the global pandemic. When we talked with her several months ago, she was in St. Louis for yet another project, leading the Bach Society Chorus in something she calls a melisma boot camp, an intense, concentrated workshop specifically designed to help singers master fast-moving vocal passages. Those are a lot of hats for one woman to wear, a remarkable woman indeed, from a quiet town in the serene countryside of the Netherlands. Not surprising, then, that the Josephine Stoplenberg story begins with a very musical family. My dad is a composer, and when I was very young, he conducted several orchestras and choirs and uh, chamber orchestras, and he organized all kinds of contemporary music concerts. And my mom is a pianist and a music educator, and she would perform a lot of contemporary pieces. And she had a lot of piano students, so I remember growing up under the piano and always hearing these students doing their skills and etudes and pieces. Wait, wait, wait. You you were under the piano? Is that what you said? Yes. They had a big grand piano and I would just kind of play under it while my mother was teaching. Ah, well, that's the best place to listen. Absolutely. I learned a lot. I also knew I did not want to be a pianist pretty early on. <laughs> and... Well, where I grew up in the north of the Netherlands, it's very beautiful. It's very green, lots of fields and acres. And I remember just playing outside a lot. And I think that's very different than a lot of children right now, how they grow up. Um, I think life is a little simpler. There was just school, there was playing outside. And in the lives of me and my sister, there was just a lot of music. Mm -hmm. We joined a local children's choir. And I think I started there at the age of six. And when I was about nine, the choir had this little pamphlet of the National Dutch Children's Choir. And I thought, oh, I would really like to do that. So my sister and I both auditioned. And this was a new choir that auditioned children from all over the country to kind of set um, an 
a higher example of children's choirs in the Netherlands. And we were just lucky timing-wise to be there at that time because the, the choir just skyrocketed in quality and they did all these competitions that they won. Their conductor, Sylvain van Liesaud, was a very inspiring person. And about 80% of that choir became professional singers. Is that right? Yes, it's really the work of that individual that really made the lives of so many people very special. Right. Now, uh, being from a musical family, was it just assumed? Was there ever any discussion, ever any argument? You were going to be a musician. No, not at all. Actually, my parents were more like, well, you know, we, we want our children to play instruments. I play the violin and my sister clarinet, but... Being musician, of course, they knew what it was like, so they were never like, we hope you will be musicians. But it was such a big part of our lives and such a natural thing. And uh, my sister and I were just always practicing together. We would do the dishes by hand, as we did in those days, and practice our choral parts together. My sister's a mezzo and I was a soprano, so we had these nice duets going on. And in fact, that's something that really was the foundation of our career, because we practice a lot as a vocal duo and then we started to win uh, a big national competition suddenly we were on tv a lot orchestras uh, hired us as a vocal duo composers wrote pieces just for us because the vocal blend was so special and that that's really a very special thing and i i don't have that still with anyone else that specific vocal blend and you still collaborate with her we sure do um I go back to the Netherlands about five times a year to perform with her. It's a lot of chamber music. Right now we have a wonderful ensemble with a piano duo of two brothers, Martijn and Stefan Black. And so it's the two brothers and the sisters. So we are called Brothers and Sisters. And we do a lot of recitals together, which is great fun. Who's older? You she is one and a half year older. Does she boss you around? No, we always had a very pleasant relationship and we just never fight it's it's quite unusual it's a very special bond she's very different in many ways she's very tall and blonde and i have dark hair and brown eyes we look very different but uh we got along really well actually she's visiting me next week so i'm very excited about that visiting you in chicago she in is yes. tell us about your you're coming to the united states i know you were doing gigs here but kind of give us that uh, that transition from the netherlands to here yeah i was basically just going to be here for one year i had already lived in germany for four years and i wanted to experience something else and originally came here with a, a Dutch gentleman, but that didn't last. Then I met my uh, husband and now I'm still here. But it was very challenging in the beginning because, you know, I had um, an, a nice going career in the Netherlands, but to really start that here was very intense. And I would just send emails to any organization I could find online. It's like, hello, I'm Josephine. This is the repertoire I do. And um, I would say from out of every 10 emails I send, I would get maybe one or two responses back. And maybe from those, two res those 10 responses, I would get maybe one or two gigs. Actually, that's also how I came to St. Louis. Uh, I just emailed Dennis Sparker about that I was around, that I do a lot of oratorio, a lot of Baroque music. And he was kind enough to say, well, yeah, we'd like to have you sometime. And a lot of the organizations that I started with then kind of hired me back. So it's accumulated a little bit over the years. Uh, but I still do it. I still bulldog people, as I call it. I, I buck them, <laughs> hoping they'll hire me. And it's 
It's not the most glamorous part of life, but it's... My guess is you don't have to do that much anymore. Maybe a little bit. You know, we're in the show-me state. Mm-hmm. And you, you have shown us uh, what your abilities are, and we're just so thrilled to have you. You've performed with the Box Society a number of times now. What is it, half a dozen or so, or uh, something like that? Yes, yes. And it was really nice that during the pandemic, Dennis also asked me to record some videos uh, because so much was canceled, and I really appreciated that. It was a wonderful thing. Yeah, it, it was terrific, and we thank you for doing that. Um, let's get back to this uh, Chicago thing. So... Um, you mentioned your husband, but we need to talk about him for just a minute. He's not here, so we can talk about <laughs> it. Um, tell us about uh, this guy. So I remember singing for a musician, and she said, you should meet Stephen Alltop. Uh, he's a conductor. He does a lot of Baroque music like you do. And I met him, I sang for him, and we were both hired by a group called Music of the Baroque in Chicago, and we became friends. And then at some point I sang in a production that he was conducting. And what really touched me was the enormous amount of joy he radiated. He was so good at what he did, he still is. He's, he's incredibly skilled and knowledgeable, but just the joy he infused to people really moved me deeply. And we, we laugh a lot. So that's definitely a big part of his personality. Did he make you a Cubs fan? That's what I want to know. Actually, he's a Dodgers fan because he's from Arizona and oh, sure. he grew up with listening to that. Um, he he tries to explain baseball to me, but usually we sit on the couch, he watches baseball and I will read a book and occasionally he'll, he will say something hoping that I respond in an intelligent way to it, which I don't. So he suffers deeply because of that. <laughs> Why don't uh, you and Dennis and I go to a Cardinals game the next time you're in town? We'll, right. we'll teach you all about this. <laughs> this is it's a, a baseball town, my dear. <laughs> We're talking to Josephine Stoplenberg, and uh, your uh, husband is the conductor of the Apollo course, which has, much like the Box Society, an incredibly rich history. What is it about choral singing that has these incredible roots that dig deep and allow it to go on, even when times are tough, like you were saying during the pandemic? Many organizations, they didn't make it. Yeah, and that's so wonderful about groups like the St. Louis Bach Society. I, I found that they, in that time, were so much more helpful, considerate, forthcoming, and creative than a lot of organizations that I've worked with. And I thought that was really inspiring and that a lot of organizations could learn a bit from that. Um, I think choral singing is just one of the most magical things on the planet. Just people singing together. Actually, I remember during the pandemic, I would have these dreams of just people around me singing. I think I just miss that a lot. And you know, Every um, sort of people on the planet have sung, as far as we know. It's just such a deep human thing. And uh, there is really some magic to it, especially when you hear it live. Recordings are fantastic, but a live experience with singers around you, I think it resets your molecular structure in some way. It just does something to your body. To, to hear that. It does indeed. Let's talk more about the art of singing in just a moment. That's Josephine Stoppelenberg. I'm Ron Clem. This is Bach Talk.
talk to me about your approach to singing. Do you use a textual approach? Do you use a um, a technical uh, approach? What? How do you approach singing? It really depends on the piece, but I think one of the reasons I really love Baroque music so much is that it's so text central. It's it has all the the magic of rhetoric put into music, and it always feels new and direct to me. Um, it's interesting. I have a few voice students who are completely new to classical music. They they prefer pop and Broadway, and they always like Baroque music when it's very clearly from the text because it has a certain freshness to it, a certain directness. It's not the abstract soundscapes. Uh, of later romantic music where the voice sounds a bit more artificial. I think that's one aspect I really like about Baroque music. I think a big thing for me in every style of singing is that it needs to come directly from the emotion. So if we think about the breath that's located in the body in the same place where we feel, if we breathe in with feeling, in general, we get a sound that's personality infused, if you will. So you get a direct connection with an audience if you breathe in from that feeling. It's a very magical thing to me. And I love seeing when a choir does that, when soloists do it. I'm all for practicing like a maniac. I'm very much about having a very solid technique and uh, a longevity career, so to speak. But the reason I practice like a maniac is so that I can let it go and let the music take over and sort of let it flow through me, if that makes sense. And I cannot do that if I'm worried about the notes or if notes will come out. It needs to be semi-automatic so the music can flow through me. Obviously, that means intense uh, preparation because you have to know exactly what you're, you, you need to, to do technically before you go in. But it sounds to me like you're singing before you're singing. That is, if you're singing while you're breathing, you're already, you're already into it. Yes, I like the phrase that singing is sort of a controlled letting go. So you practice it really well, and then you just sort of give it, and I'm hoping for the best. And that's the thing with music. You can only look to the future. Like when you're performing, then you look at what's coming ahead. You're not sort of analytically thinking what you just did. Oh, that must be a terrible danger and 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 temptation. Oh yes. And how do you get over that? Um, I think that's sort of you can practice that kind of practice. What's the emotion of the next race coming up? What's the rhetoric? What's the meaning? And not get stuck in. Oh, is this okay? Is this is this proper? Because then you'll get stuck. Yeah. yeah. But that can be practiced. Well, you see, now you're like a baseball pitcher who thinks about the last pitch he threw, and you can't, can't be doing that. <laughs> cannot do that. No, you cannot do that. Um, you have become uh, somewhat of an expert, from our perspective, on the, the concept of melismas mm -hmm. and singing them and teaching them. So let's start with what is a melisma? Yeah, so melisma is basically a fast vocal run, like... So it's very fast and very accurate. Now, this was a thing in Baroque music that was very popular. It was a way for singers to sort of showcase their agility, but it also um, depicted all kinds of things. Joy, bubbliness, anger. It was just a big thing in 
the vocal technique. We don't really use it that much anymore in contemporary pieces. But if you look at like Handel Messiah or a lot of Bach, St. John Messiah, Matthew Passion has a lot Magnificat, of that Magnificat, some of these oh, places. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the agility was a big part of singing. And it was a little bit more easy in those days because we sang a little lower, uh, you know, 415 or even lower. The pitch was kind of variable, but usually not at 440. And the sound was a little smaller, warmer. The instruments were not as loud as they are right now. So we didn't have to sing as big. So it was actually easier to have more agility in the voice. And I love practicing it. I love having that quickness of the voice. And I really love teaching it. I think it's because I have a background as a violinist. And it's funny to have that difference because when you get violin lessons, it's not like, well, if you cannot play this you know, quick piece and you just don't have talent for it, they give you a very clear set of instruction how to practice it. But for singers, for some reason, it's a little bit like, yeah, some people just can do it and some cannot. And I'm raising my hand. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 how are you going to teach me how to do a melisma? Well, that's why I created an online melisma bootcamp for singers so they can use these tools and become very confident about it. And to look forward to work with the St. Louis Bach Society to work with the choir on it. And I think it will give people just more confidence to sing this music so they don't get freaked out by all those long runs, but actually enjoy them and feel the music of them. Clearly, there's a difference between you or any soloist singing a melisma, but it's an entirely different situation when you have a whole section of singers and 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 some baroque music is done by a very small section mm-hmm. not here we've got a, 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 a you know like a, a, a good bass section but you know only about half of us can do this what do you, how do you approach that singing those together yeah it, that's i was just thinking about that when i flew on the plane actually and it's a fascinating thing about people that we can do that um if we are like chanting or reciting or saying, I pledge allegiance to the, what is it, that whole thing, and yeah. people do it in a group together, right. they tend to do that very good together, sort of a natural human instinct. In general, if people keep their ears open and they keep their eye on the conductor, that really helps with this precision. But also, if they have an anchor of a few notes in a melismatic run, that helps them to be more together. It's a bit hard to explain, but I cannot let you hear it in a choir, but you'll see it when I do the boot camp with the choir. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm, I'm extremely excited and downright terrified <laughs> all at the same time. You talked about um, the nature of singing because it's such an emotive uh, part of life. Mm-hmm. You're going to come back and sing the soprano arias in the St. Matthew Passion. Yes. One of the things that I have found in in my own experience is when I come across a section that is so incredibly meaningful and poignant and deeply personal, Mm -hmm. and your voice is in your body, and your emotion is in your body. Yeah. How do you get through that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And that's an odd sort of balance. Um, I actually have a system for that. And that is, I will practice a piece with high emotional intensity. 
So I will practice like aus Liebe in St. Matthew Passion, right. like close to sobbing, like really poignant and sad. Um, I'll sing another piece, really angry, then really whispery, soft. So I basically I take my voice through all the emotions. One thing that happens is that you get a, a bigger emotional variety in the voice. The breath technique gets better and you're just able to do more technically with the voice. Then at the moment of the performance, as a professional, it's not my job to feel it in that moment. It's my job to evoke it in an audience. And I feel that's basically a big difference between an amateur and a professional. An, an amateur might stay more in that feeling him or herself, whereas a professional will try to evoke it in the audience. And it's a hard thing to explain exactly how that happens or how you do that. I don't think I can pinpoint it. It's more that I try to transfer the emotion outside of me in the space instead of in my body, if that mm. makes sense. It makes sense, but I, I, it's still very, it must be incredibly difficult to do if, if that text is so meaningful to you. It is, and you know, specifically in the Netherlands, St. Matthew Passion is such um, a big piece. Yeah. There are a lot of people who don't go to any churches, but they do go to St. Matthew Passion. Basically, the hierarchy is Bach, St. Matthew Passion, and below that there's God, and below that there are a whole bunch of other people <laughs> and composers. But it's, it's an, an event, and I also like to think of, you know, in Bach's time, they would have weeks in advance that there was no music at all. Right. We cannot imagine that anymore. No. We're constantly surrounded by sound, by music. But if you think of how that would have been like, quiet, just the daily sounds of a city or a village, and then suddenly this piece, after weeks of silence, must have made such a big impression on people. It must have been an incredible communal ritual. The soprano aria Blue Tenure du Liebes Herz from a 2023 presentation of Bach's St. Matthew Passion. The Bach Society Orchestra, conducted by A. Dennis Sparger, the soloist, Josephine Stoplenberg, our very special guest today on Bach Talk. Tell me a little bit about your work as an artist, because it's uh, I, I've seen some of your work, and um, for some people it's kind of a sideline. For you, this is this is serious stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It's kind of a thing that got out of hand a little bit. Um, yeah, I've always been painting, uh, but I I would say about the last ten years it just became more and more, and people started to give me commissions, and then I started to put it on fashion items. I'm actually wearing one of my own 
painted dresses right now. Uh, and it's it's a wonderful thing because it's really something of my own inner world. Instead of reproducing a composer's inner world, I kind of can display my own. And I think another reason I like it is that music is such a product of time. You know, you perform and then it's gone. Right. Unless it's recorded, but it's gone. And I like that with a painting, I can see it and hold it and hold on to it. In perpetuity, if you wish. I mean, it stays with you. Exactly. Yeah. And it's often music inspired. Um, I love to listen to music, especially to Ravel, because it's it has so much color in the music that I can put onto um, onto the canvas. So I cannot always paint because um, the acrylic paint that I use has ammonia in it to preserve it, oh. and it affects the voice a little oh, bit. That's so. So yes. I have to be careful with that and do other media when I'm not performing a lot. Do you do you paint? to relax or do you paint when you when you have um, you know a drive to do so it works interestingly when i have a lot of concerts it feels as if colors and shapes sort of start to build up in my body and they just have to get out of me and then i'll paint for a while and then i get longing for music again and the social aspect of music uh, and then when I only sing for a while, these images and colors build up again. So it's this sort of wave of both things that play a role in me. And I, I don't know the meaning of it. I only know that it feels really good to make them. It gives people joy. So I'll just keep doing it. Well, you certainly are giving us joy. And we're so grateful to have you. Which is more fulfilling for you? Really both. Yeah, I mean, I thought... if I would have to choose... I would choose singing because just the, the connection with other people and the greatness of all the, the works you, you get to live with. But I, I really need both to be a happy human being. What or who uh, inspires you the most? Musically or uh, painting-wise? Yes. <laughs> As a person. As a person. Oh, gosh, so many people. What fulfills you? I love the paintings of Chagall, oh, yeah. Odilon Redon, who's a great colorist. Actually, his story is so interesting because he had all these black and white, dark charcoal um, drawings and etchings. And then he got sick, I think, when he was about 50 and got through that. And then suddenly his canvas just bursts with color. It's incredible. It's a very moving story, I think. Uh, Chagall, also because of the sort of the narrative, the the colors, the, the magic that it evokes. Um, I love the music of Ravel, of course, of Bach and Handel, which are my my biggest employers, I could yeah, say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great pieces. Um, Monteverdi 1610 is one of my favorite pieces, the Handel Dixie Dominus, because it has so much fire and passion to it. In fact, I think that's my favorite Handel piece. Is that right? Oh, man, it's so glorious. It's yeah. so rich and active. And he was young. He was in Italy, and he really wanted to show off. And man, did he succeed. After a long day, what do you do to relax? Well... We usually do have long days. My husband usually has rehearsals until about 10, so he's home by maybe 10.30. We need an hour to sort of relax. Not I, every day. Most days. Really? Yeah, we, we, have, we are busy musicians. Okay. Um, I love to read. Um, 
paint, read, practice, listen to music. Reading is a, is a big passion of mine too. You've already told me your favorite uh, uh, piece. What about uh, your favorite uh, TV series. Do you watch any TV? Oh gosh, this is really embarrassing. No, no, no. Why, that's so, why I'm here. <laughs> when I grew up, I would come out of school and we would have a cup of tea. This is very relaxed and on television, <laughs> they would have Murder, She Wrote. From and the I, States or, or your Yeah, neighbor? it's a, from the yeah. States. Yeah. And Angela still, Lansbury. Yes, of I course. still love <laughs> Murder, She Wrote. So I have made the soul of a grandmother because I still love Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't think you're alone. Um, <laughs> what about your favorite movie? Oh, there is a beautiful French movie that I love called Microcosmos. And it's sort of a zoom in on insect life. Now, this sounds weird. I'm not really fond of bugs, but they slowed down the movements of the insects and made it so poetic and relatable and mythical. It's one of the most magic movies I've ever seen. Really? Wow. Well, I have not, now you've, it's intriguing. Now I want to see it. I also really love Moulin Rouge, but oh. not the, the modern one, but there's uh, a movie uh, about Henri Toulouse-Lautrec. Ah. And it's a fantastic movie about his life and uh, it's beautiful. You've accomplished so much already. You're still young. Um, what is the one thing that you for sure want to accomplish? I want to make a big collection of very large canvases and paint it. I would love to record my favorite piece that my dad composed, which is five songs on William Shakespeare's sonnets. They're called Love Songs. They're for soprano, mezzo, string orchestra and harp. We've performed it, but we've never recorded it. And it's such a beautiful piece. Um, I just hope to do a lot of good concerts, stay healthy, be kind to people. And that's about it. Well, thanks for your <laughs> kindness here. And we want to have you come to uh, St. Louis and be with the Bach Society of St. Louis as often as you possibly can. Well, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Josephine Stoppelberg, soprano. I'm Ron Clem, and this is Bach Talk. Just the final portion of the Laudamus Te from Mozart's Mass in C minor in a performance by the Bach Society of St. Louis in October of 2016. The soprano soloist, our special guest today, soprano Josephine Stoplenberg. Musical portions today featured Josephine with the Bach Society Orchestra, conducted by music director and conductor A. Dennis Sparger. Josephine has two websites, one for her musical endeavors, another devoted solely to her paintings and art. Visit her and learn more at josephinestoplenberg.com or josephinestoplenberg-art.com.
Josephine.com. Josephine is spelled J-O-S-E-F-I-E-N. Stoplenburg, S-T-O-P-P-E-L-E-N-B-U-R-G. JosephineStoplenburg.com or JosephineStoplenburg-art.com. Guests of the Bach Society stay at the Hilton St. Louis Frontenac Hotel, featuring old world charm at the intersection of comfort and convenience. We'll leave you today as we began with the Bach aria Ich folge dir gleichfalls from the St. John Passion. Only this time, we'll hear Josephine along with Stephen Altop at the Portative Organ in a special recording made in 2021 for the Bach Society's Virtual Performances Initiative. Subscribe to Bach Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at BachSociety.org. Bach Talk is a trademark of the Bach Society of St. Louis. I'm Ron Clem.